Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. Father, you have revealed yourself to be holy is really your overarching character, that you are completely different, that you are separate, that you are unlike us, but yet, as we celebrate today in many other ways, you have loved us, and you have redeemed us and rescued us and saved us, and so we, as your people, gather to worship Christ, our Savior, uh, to give glory to you, our Father, and the power of your Spirit, Uh, and so we just, we're thankful this morning, thankful that we can worship together, thankful we can sing a new song and an old song together uh, as your people. I pray specifically now as we open scripture that we would be refined by it, that you would use it to sharpen us, to encourage us, to challenge us. I pray that your spirit would fall fresh because he must move if if there's gonna be any growth, any change, any equipping taking place. And so just help me to get out of the way, Lord, and that you would add to or take away from anything that I was planning to say so that in the end, Christ is glorified and that his church is built uh, for his namesake. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we are continuing our series on Abraham. If you have children, right, you have, or you were a child, so this is everybody, at some point in your life, you were either said the words or heard the words, why can't you all just get along? If you have more than one kid, if you're saying it with only one kid, there's other problems. But if you have more than one children, child, why can't you, will you, can you stop it? Please, can't you share? But it's not just kids. I mean, in this political season, you watch one debate. It's like, you know, the, for, I, well, I respect highly and really like my friend here, but he's an idiot. All right? I mean, and they go on and they slam him and they put, and, and it's just chaos. And as we walk through life, unless you live in a cave or on an island like Luke Skywalker, that's spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it by now, you're done anyway. If you are, unless you live in a cave somewhere off alone, you're going to rub up against people. There will be conflict, different opinions. Someone hurts your feelings. Um, someone disappoints you. It's just where we live in a fallen world. And some of y'all, you hate it. And I, and I get it. You run from conflict. You try to do everything you can to avoid conflict. Others of you in the room, I mean, you're, you're ready. It's like game on. In your ears, survivor, the Rocky theme goes off and you're ready to go. All right? And which one is right? Well, neither is right. But what we need to talk about is how as believers, how as followers of Christ do we handle conflict? Because it's a reality of our lives. And let me just say this. Just because it is a reality of our life does not mean it should be normative in your life. And what I mean by that is this. If you, every day of your life, it's I wake up, I brush my teeth, I you know, get in a fight with my spouse, and then I go to work, and then I get in a fight with my boss, and then I come go to Subway, and I get in a fight with the lady in the Subway counter, and I come home, and I get another fight with my kids, that is the problem. Can you avoid all conflict? No. But if it is normative... If that's, that's the regular deal of everything, then there's, there's, there's some, some work to be done spiritually in our hearts. And the solution is not just quit every relationship and go live with Luke in a cave. 
okay? It's not to just say what you think and do what you like. As followers of Christ, for those who identify as Christian, and, and this is why one of those specs of a Christian for us, specs of a disciple, the first one is S, that you put yourself under Scripture. What does Jesus, our Savior, say about conflict? Because he has a lot to say. And he didn't avoid it all, but he handled it the way we are to handle it. And so we're going to look at today is Abraham is going to have some quarreling in his family, right? Last week, and, and he is going to handle it beautifully. Last week was Abraham at his worst. Today is Abraham at his best, right? And so, and what we've been talking about is just the life. We started looking at him in a couple, a couple weeks ago um, and, and following who he is. He's our great, 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 great grandfather of the faith. His story mimics ours in many ways. So we have a lot we can learn from this guy today when it comes to just conflict in life. Um, and so what we're going to look at is what caused the conflict in his family because it's the same stuff that causes it in our lives. And then we're going to look at how he handled it because the way he handled it is the way guys, God has called us to handle it. And we'll just look quickly at the results of that and how God blesses how he is faithful in this, okay? Here's where we've been so far in case you're new. Um, this guy named Abraham, God chooses this moon-worshipping, 75-year-old, doesn't-have-kids guy to, to be the, the, basically the forefather of the Messiah, the one who would come and rescue and redeem and right every wrong. Right? It wasn't because he was a great guy. It's because God is a great God and he's a God of grace and he's a God of faithfulness. And so the first week God says, I want you to leave everything you know and go to a place that you don't know. And he does in great faith. Last week we saw he almost train wrecks his faith because he moves into self-preservation mode and he stops trusting God and he sells his wife out. But God in his grace and because he is faithful to his promises rescues him. And where we ended last week was Abram was in repentance and had went back to the beginning and he was uh, worshiping again. And that's where we really pick up in 13, 1 to 4. Let me, let me read it. So Abram went up from Egypt. Now, his tail is between his legs, but he's leaving and God has rescued him. He and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And so we pick up, he has turned, he is walking with God again, he is being faithful to what God has called him to, he is worshiping. And, here, and here's something you got, you got to understand about the Christian life. When you, are, when you are doing well, when you are in a good place, when worship is going on, when you just come out of church and you feel like the sermon spoke to you or you just had a great quiet time or you just had a great cup of coffee with this person and they really shared with you or just you're in a good place, that is when you need to be on guard because typically right after that is when the enemy attacks and he's going to attack right now. He's going to face another challenge. And this challenge is going to be different than the last one. The last challenge was one of famine. The context was famine. The challenge he faces now is in the context, not of famine, but of plenty, which is, some of you are like, well, that's not much of a challenge. Actually, if you read the whole of scripture, the challenge of having plenty is actually more difficult than having little. And Jesus warns about it a ton, right? Because when you have plenty and the barns are full, where do you tend to look? Inward. Look at I did. Look at I have. Look how good I am. And there's not a dependence and a reliance and a walking with God. Just be honest in your own walk. When are the times that prayer was the sweetest? When you felt like the word was most alive? When you felt like you were closest to God? When you had a ton? Or when you were just at, at your wit's end and you're at the end of your rope? When you didn't know where the paycheck was coming from? Right? 
And so this is a challenge that Abraham's going to have being rich. It says he is very rich. He has got silver. He has got gold. He's got livestock. Next week, we're going to see he has 318 men in his deal that are fighting age, that are warriors. Now, just think about that's 318 men. Let's assume each one of them has a spouse. That's 600 and something men. Let's assume there's two or three kids in some of these families. You're talking about there's probably a thousand plus people in his caravan. There's thousands of sheep, thousands of goats, gold and silver. He is a modern day billionaire. Things are going really well financially for old Abe right now because God said he was going to bless him, right? And this is when the challenge comes, verse 5. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Not only is he loaded, his, his nephew, Lot, is loaded as well. Why? Because he's attached himself to Abraham. And because he's attached himself to Abraham, he's attached himself to the blessing. And they both have so much stuff, it says that the land could not support it. So the land could not support both of them dwelling together. Their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And, and, they, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. And at that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So not only they have a ton of stuff, you got Canaanites in the land, you got Perizzites in the land, you got termites in the land, and they're all trying to live off the same land, and they just can't do it because they have so much stuff. And because of it, there's quarrels. The word strife means fights, quarrels, a row, uh, whatever you want to call it, between the families and between the herdsmen. Let me highlight, just, just from those first, just the setting of that story, some of the reasons why we see conflict in our lives. Uh, every day, every week, whatever it is. The first, the first one that's pretty obvious is the conflict because of proximity, because they're close, right? And this is one you cannot escape unless you're Luke on an island somewhere. But just because you are living with people because you're rubbing shoulders in a cubicle, in a tank, in a office, in a house, there's conflict, space. You see, it's one thing for him to be the sweet fiance, and we go to dinner, and we go to a movie, and then he goes home. Which, by the way, men, you better be going home. I'm sleeping on the couch. You're not sleeping on the couch. And I'm not even, I'm not joking about this. This is not even related to the sermon. You do not need to be crashing at your girlfriend's fiance's house. I'm just telling you. For her reputation and for yours. All right? But anyway, so he goes home. But then what happens is we get married. And now he don't go home. And he's using my sink. And his toothpaste is in my sink. And her hair is in my sink. And his undies are on my floor and not in the hamper that is made for that. And the bed is not made. And you're scooping peanut butter with a spoon. And then you're re-scooping peanut butter with a spoon. And you can't get away from that. Right? It's the kids in the back of the van. They're touching me. He's on my side. Stop touching me. Right? It's, I don't want his bed next to mine. Put his bed on the other side of the room. Proximity. This is why, by the way, we don't have pews in church anymore. Because y'all don't sit next to each other. So we can only fit like four people in the whole building because you won't sit next to somebody. There's something mag just magic about a chair. There's a line. This is my chair. And you won't, right? Christians won't sit next to each other in pews anymore. It's just the way it works. But it's all proximity. Grandparents, 
you, you rejoice in proximity because now the grandkids go home and they're no longer having to stay with you. Proximity. It's a challenge we all face, right? It's this, Jesus and, and the disciples, they're three and a half years. They're rubbing shoulders. They're always together. There's conflict. I'm greater than you. I'm better than you. Ah. And, and it's just one that you and I, because as believers, we are knit together. We are being built together. We are being equipped together. We are one. We are a body. You have to learn to function with proximity. And we'll talk about how later as we see what Abraham. But it's just a common that everybody faces. There's conflict because of proximity. Second reason, there's conflict because of possessions. And this is a biggie. That is my money she keeps spending. How many times have I heard that in a marriage counseling? She spends my money. Is it your money? Or are you one? Right? That's my Lego. That was my Mountain Dew that someone stole out of the fridge. Right? That's, that's my PlayStation. How many times do we know or hear of a family where someone passes away, leaves an inheritance, and because of the inheritance, the family no longer talks, and the kids don't talk anymore, and it's 20 years, they split, because he got this, and he got this, and he didn't get this, and there's fighting over stuff. You want to see the heart of your children, which is really your heart? Go order Little Caesars, and then save one piece of pizza. And then the th- have the three kids who are all saying, I want the last piece. I want the-. You guys split it and see what happens. You'll see WWF raw in the house. <laughs> I want the pizza. No, I want the pizza. I want the pizza. He got one pepperoni. I got two. Right? There's something about stuff. And it hasn't changed. I mean, these guys are fighting over different stuff, sheep and goats and grass. But it's the same thing. The herdsmen. Well, that, our sheep got to eat and our sheep got to eat. And so they're fighting. It's the same. Maybe it's a Lego. Maybe it's a million dollar inheritance. But it causes conflict. And Jesus says that why why do you get so wrapped up about a little thing? He calls money a little thing. You know, realize that? Why do you let greed and envy drive you? It's, It's a cause of conflict. My money, my this, my car. It's a big one. Here's the third one. It's pride. Ultimately, it's rooted in pride. Go to the slide up there, Mark. You might. There's just, we want what we want. You, you said this to me. I can't believe you would say that to me. She just doesn't understand me. He's not meeting my needs. How could they do this to me after what I've done for them? She's always late and she makes me look bad. Right? It's the mom who's yelling at the kids in the Target because they want the Snickers bar because they're prideful and selfish and she doesn't want to be that mom who's yelling at the kids in the Target so she's smacking them when no one's looking and trying to get everyone not to think she's such a crazy mom. And there's conflict. It's, it's me, right? It's me. It's people in the church that fight, well, I'm a nine-point Calvinist, well, I'm a six-point Calvinist and I'm a pre-this and you're a post-this and we don't do that with our children. I can't believe you let your kids see PG movies and I, oh my goodness, you went out to eat on a Sunday afternoon and it's pride because we're better, right? I can't believe they use this kind of bulletins and they didn't ask me what color the wall should be and they should this, use this kind of light bulbs and oh my goodness. And this is about me and there's conflict and there's struggle. This is what James says. All right, he says this, if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, 
Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. So you think, well, I'm just trying to get what's rightfully mine. He says, selfish ambition is demonic. And where it exists, there's disorder and every vile practice. And if you read chapter four, he says, the first thing he opens up with is, what's the source of quarrels among you? And then he answers, is it not you is the source of quarrels among you? And some of us, we just need to be real honest with ourselves. If every place you go, there is conflict, and it's always someone else's fault. You know, at work, it's that person's fault. And at home, it's this person's fault. And in the neighborhood, it's this person's fault. And in my, you know, this club, it's this person's fault. What's the common denominator then? You. Maybe you're the conflict starter-upper. Right? And so there's some work to be done. Can't we all get along? That's what we talked about a minute. Yes, we can. Right? And so proximity and pride and possessions, these lay fertile ground for strife in our lives. Fertile ground for the road, fertile ground for the conflict. How does Abraham deal with it? All right, let's look at verse eight. Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between me and you and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. There's a lot to be said right there, but here I want to highlight a couple things. Number one, look at, underline it in your Bible. It says, Abram said to Lot. He didn't say to Sarah, his wife. He didn't say to his herdsmen. He didn't say to his, his mother-in-law. He went to the person where the source of the problem was. That's significant, right? How much conflict and strife could be just diffused if some of y'all would just go to that person? He goes to the person, Right? He goes right to him. doesn't go to social media of the day. He goes, and, and this is what Jesus says. If your brother sins against you, go to your brother in private. Not public, not on Facebook, not tweeting. You go to him in private. It's a private matter. And, and, and here, here's where this gets distinctly Christian for us. Because this could be preached at any old church, right? Be nice, don't fight, right? That's not what we are saying ultimately. He says, I don't want there to be strife. What's the absence of strife? Peace. So what he's saying is, I want there to be peace with ourselves. Why do I want peace? For we are kinsmen, is what he says. Literally, the Hebrew word is we are brothers. We're brothers. We are the same family. We are one. And it is not fitting for us as family to have this going on amongst ourselves. And where that wraps for us and where that comes back is, we are Christian. We are followers of Jesus of Nazareth, the one true God, the Savior of the world. And he doesn't say do this because it's nice and be nice moralistic people because God likes the nice people. We, we do this because Christ says, blessed are the peacemakers, for theirs is the kingdom, for, for they shall be called sons of God. Peacemakers. Right? Those who pursue peace. So well, that's just Jesus. Well, Paul says, and he's telling Timothy, pursue Flee youthful lust and pursue righteousness and faith and, and love and peace. And then he goes on to say, the Lord's servant, that would be all of us, must not be quarrelsome. Peter says, the one who desires life to love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. He must seek peace and pursue it. And then he goes on to say, for the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous and his ear attends their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
it, you can't get away from it in the scripture that we are to be the peacemakers. And, and I know what some of you are saying, well, well that we're just supposed to be run over. I'm not saying Christians to be weak and let the world run over you. Abraham was not a weakling. You're going to see next week. He's going to go out and bust some chops. He's going to be Rambo. All right? Jesus was not a weakling. He was a man's man. So I'm not talking about being weak. I'm talking about being Christ-like. And that is, that's, that's where we're going with this. Right? And so as a Christian, it's not fitting to be Mr. and Mrs. Conflict all the time in whatever setting. Right? You say, well, I just can't deal with my spouse. Well, Jesus tells you to love your spouse. Well, I can't do that right now. Well, can you love your enemy? Because Jesus says love your enemy too. Love your spouse, love your brother, love your enemy. That covers everybody. And so as a follower of, of the Lord Jesus, you cannot get away from what he's calling us to. Right? You just cannot get away. So it's not fitting for us to say, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus loved me, but I can't stand that person. I, these for two businessmen, two businesswomen in the church that, that uh, we're followers of the Lord, but we're going to sue each other, which is 1 Corinthians 6, which says, no, you cannot sue another Christian. You, got, you deal with that in the context of local church. You have the same Lord, right? I, I, I believe Jesus forgave me for all my sins, past, present, and future, but I will not let my parents off the hook for this one because this was what they did to me. It's just, it's not fitting for us, right? And so Abraham says, it's not fitting. We are kinsmen. And he does three things that I want you to see in these verses. Look at verse nine. First thing he does is he shows deference. He shows deference to his nephew. He says, is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right, I will go to the left. He, in essence, says, look at the land, choose what do you want lot what is best for you what what is what would you like now this is not only culturally radical it's it's for, for back then it is for us the older does not do this to the younger what abraham could have done is said you are only being blessed because of me god gave me the land take a hike or you get you get what's left over sonny that's what he could have done that's what he culturally could have done. But it, and even, it doesn't even make sense. It's not even, we don't even do this now. How many, some of you have older brothers. The older brothers get the last Twinkie. The older brothers get the last piece of chicken. Why? Because they're the older brother. And they'll kill you. With love. They'll put you in a headlock. They're the older brother. He's the older the rights are his, but he defers. He owes him nothing and he defers. He diffuses the situation by saying, you want something? Choose. And, and again, this is not just because he's a nice guy and, oh man, we should bring him in to do our marriage counseling. And, you know, Not after last week what he did. But it's, it has nothing to do with that. It's everything for us following a savior who laid down his rights, who was who is rightfully God, who is rightfully perfect, who is rightfully holy, and he becomes sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. How much conflict in our lives would be if we would defer as a Christian? Kids, teenagers, youngins, I know it's your turn to sit in the front seat. I get it. It's, it's fun Backseat stinks, I know. But what, how much 
getting to school in the morning would not be so chaotic if maybe the older would say, hey, bub, you sit in the front this time. I'll sit in the front and the back. That's what it looks like. You say, well, that's not a really a big deal. Uh, you don't have kids going to school at 7.30 then. Because <laughs> it's a big deal. Front seat, it's like king of the world. Right? Now I'm wanting to, I used to want to get to the front. Now I'm like, put me in the back, please. I want to go to the back. Uh, how, if, if there's one piece of pizza left, if there's one chicken wing left, there's one blessed Twinkie left, and you say, hey, I'm going to cut this in half, and you pick which half you want. That's deference for a teenager. Looks a little different for an adult, but it's deference. That's, that's what we're talking about. It's you at the office, and I know you have a great idea. And, and I know you want your idea to be known because you really think it's a great idea. But this guy over here, he's got an idea too. And instead of fighting so that your idea is there, how about you compliment his idea and say, hey, bub, let's go with yours this time. Right? But he's going to be, he might get the promotion. He might look at the credit. It's okay. He defers. He defers. Right? And roommates, you got your rules. Who's doing the dishes? Who's taking out the trash? I know the, the, the dishes are this high. And it's not your week. Is that really sanitary? Let's be honest. But you're going to say, you know what? Oh, boy, his parents are in town this weekend, and he probably just forgot. I'm going to do his dishes. And, and I'm not going to say, well, I did yours last week, so you do mine this week. I'm just going to do it if he notices or not, and I'm going to trust God with that. That's defer. Right? That's defer. And we haven't talked about marriage yet. Right? Because they, these are easy ones, right? I, I get in the context, this is in marriage, this is where, this is where it's a struggle, isn't it? Because it's my, I got my rights and I want what I want, right? And I deserve. But if we in our marriages, both of us now, not just one, if both men and women would defer to one another, and I'm a man and I struggle with this because I want to remind my wife of all the things that I've done, I want to give her my resume. So that she knows how good I am. Well, you remember that I did this, 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 and this, and this. So that means, really, what I'm saying is, I don't have to do this. And we're great at reminding. But what if, after a long day, a long week, you've been working hard, maybe she's got a job outside the home, maybe she doesn't. What if once a month, you're both tired, you say, honey, I got dinner. Here's $50. Go out and just... Go to Tuesday morning, right? So, men, that's a store. That's not a day. Uh, if you don't know that, then you need to know your wife better. Uh, go to Michael's. Go to get coffee. Go. I got the kids. Now, wives, you got to understand they're going to have hot dogs and mac and cheese that night, and you have to be okay with that. They're not going to die. But, you, you've, but I'm tired. I've had a long day at work. So is she. It's, it's deferring. If, if you're, and I'm not, you know, whatever it looks like for you. It's, I want to watch Rocky. She wants to watch Anne of Green Gables. I've watched them. In fact, if you're going to get married in this church, that's part of the premarital counseling. <laughs> All eight hours, buddy. We're Pride and Prejudice BBC version. Your choice. Yeah, I know. I'm Mr. Darcy part two. Not really. It's just, those are the practical things that build your marriage up. And this is fitting for Valentine's Day, isn't it? Well, you always do what you want to do. It's my money, right? Um, 
whatever. It's, I know it's your Saturday and you had plans to do X, but your wife's been wanting you to do this for four weeks. It's defer. And I'm not just picking on the men because if both of you are doing this in marriage, whatever it practically looks like, do you think that that's going to cultivate romance? If they're both deferring, that they're gonna, there's going to be a desire, it's going to diffuse. I'm not saying you're never going to fight. You're going to fight. I mean, you did this morning on the way to church, some of you. That's okay. But if, there's going to be less and less of it if both of us are deferring. And at some point, one of us has to be the bigger person and get off this crazy cycle. Highly recommend to you a book called Love and Respect. And the premise of this book, Love and Respect, is about communication and marriage, is that men were created with a desire to be respected. Women were created with a desire to be loved. It's the way God has wired you. It's good. It is not bad. Don't listen to the culture. Men and women are not the same. They are created different. They both reflect God's image differently but equally. But that... And so when a man feels disrespected, what does he do? He responds in an unloving way. When a woman feels unloved, she responds in a disrespectful way. And it just spirals out of control. And they keep going and keep going. And at some point, someone as a follower of Christ has to get off the crazy cycle and stop the madness. Because it takes two to conflict. It takes two to tango. I mean, someone honks the horn. You have a choice at that moment. Am I going to honk back and turn around and use my hands? Or am I going to just go? You have a choice in the context of conflict. When someone says something that's hurtful, that's disrespectful, that has a, a tone to it, you have a choice. Am I going to respond or am I going to defer? And that's, that's what we're looking for, right? That, somebody's got to get off that. Someone's got to, to, to take responsibility and to not do it, to just, well, they did this and I'm going to do this and to keep going. Or they, you know, I'm going to just sit in my room and smolder for four hours and they know where I am if they want to come talk to me. What you're saying is I refuse to take responsibility as a follower of Christ to do what he did, to make peace. And it's a big deal, right? Does it involve sacrifice? Yes. Does it cost Abraham? It cost him land. It cost him the best of the best, at least in the short term. It cost him his reputation probably with his herdsmen because his herdsmen were probably like, what is he doing? He just gave Lot the best. He gave him the option to take everything. But in the end, he's the one we're gonna see is blessed. And, and again, this, this matters just on a real practical level, y'all, because if you have conflict with all these people, Jesus himself says, don't come into church. All right, he says in Matthew 5, if you're offering your gift at the altar, so you're going to the temple, which is their equivalent in that day, when he's, he's talking about coming into the tabernacle, coming into the temple and offering a sacrifice. It's their church service, in essence. He says that so you come in and you remember that your brother has something against you. You've done something to him, and you're like, oh, man, I've done something. He says, leave it. Don't come to church. Go fix that. Go apologize. Go, go turn and say, hey, I'm sorry. Be reconciled and then come. Why? Because these relationships here will hinder this if we're not right in them. It just will. You got, you got, everyone's mad at you and it's because you've done something. And I'm not saying, if you've, if you've turned to people and you've said you're sorry and they won't forgive you, that's on them. But as, as far as it's up to you, there's peace. Otherwise, this relationship is not where it needs to be. Right? And so he says, go, it's huge. Can you imagine if we practiced this kind of principle on Sunday mornings? I mean, Verizon would be overloaded with like, all circuits are busy because CBC people are calling people and apologizing for this week, Right? If we would, if we really took that seriously, how short would our accounts be with people, right? And so, 
I know that gives against everything in your heart of hearts because when you have been wronged and you have been hurt and someone, you do not, I don't feel like it. I do not feel like deferring. This is one of, in my opinions, the hardest things that Jesus asks us to do is just defer because it goes against everything in me. And I don't feel like it, but he's not saying you have to feel like it. He's saying it's an act of the will that you will move in grace towards people. Defer. It's huge in, in settling conflict, right? And then because he's able to do that, what he's also able to do is trust God with the results, right? And the beauty of Abraham is he learns his lessons so many times. Because last week, what's he doing? He's self-preserving. He's trying to control. He's trying to make sure that he's got his and all that. Now you see he's completely free to trust God with the results. Lot, if you take that, I'll go here. If you take that, I'll go here. God will provide for me. I've seen him do it. And so he releases control. That is so difficult for some of y'all and me too. Because you, self-preservation, self-promotion, make myself look good, keep myself. But let me tell you something. When you are in self-preservation mode, when you are in self-promotion mode, you're, you're your only resource you got. Because God's not gonna get behind you promoting yourself. He will get you behind you promoting him, but not yourself. So you're the only resource you got. You're all alone in that when you're trying to get your own. He is no longer in that mode. He said, I'm, I'm going I'm to trust God with this even if I move into the Negev, even if I move in the desert. I am, I am there. And he does. And that, look, I know that there's those, always those what ifs. What if they don't reciprocate? What if I go to them and they don't? Then you've done what God has called you to do. Well, they stole my idea at the office. And what if I never get credit? And what if I never get my name on the project? Look, if God gave you one idea, he can give you another. You can trust him with the results. Right? It's just, it's, it's simple. Like that. Well, I don't know if I can trust my parents. Because they say I shouldn't be dating this 15-year-old guy. And I think I should. You need to trust your parents. Because there ain't no 15-year-old guy that's worth dating. Okay? So I'm just telling you as your pastor right now. In fact, there ain't no 18-year-old guys worth dating either. You wait till they're 27. Then there you date them. <laughs> you need to trust God with the results. Maybe your parents do know what they're talking about. Maybe they do have a little bit of life there. Maybe they have a little bit of experience and they're not just trying to be mean. Right? God, he is trusting God. What if, what if they take advantage of me? You mean like Lot taking advantage of Abraham? He does. What if, what if it, it's just not fair? But... Is God just? Will he repay? He says he will. It's, it's again, it's hard because you're out of control, but that's what he does. So you defer and you trust God with the results. He's going to do what he's going to do, but you're doing what God has called you to do. And then, and again, I think if some of you would do this, you would sleep better at night. I, I just think you would. Some of you are up at night and you're worried about everyone else is responding. If you would let God be God, you would see that God is God. And he's bigger than you think he is. Instead of trying to take control and fix everything yourself. You follow him and you trust God with the results. And Abraham is blessed for it. And because he's then blessed, because he trusts God, because he defers, he is free to be selfless. He's free to be generous. He is free, big word, to be magnanimous. You're like, man, PE boys using the source this week. Actually, I was, I've been joking with the staff about this word all week. I just like saying it, magnanimous. And, and 
it's a word that actually, if you, one of the, really the standard commentary for Genesis is, is by a name in Alan Ross. It's called Creation and Blessing. And uh, he's kind of, everyone goes to him. He's an old Dallas seminary Hebrew guy. And he writes in his commentary that Abraham was magnanimous. And so every preacher that I've listened to or read this week has used this. And I said, I know where you got that. Because ain't nobody used this word. Magnanimous. But what it means, it's from the Latin, big spirit or big souled. That, that Abraham is big souled here, that he is big spirited, that he is generous. Right? He's trusting God, he is trusting in the results, and it frees him to be generous. Right? He, it frees him to be a blessing in the middle of conflict. Can you imagine that? If you, in the middle of conflict, were actually used as, by God to be a blessing to someone else. That is what Abraham is. He is generous. And the reason why is because he realizes he did not do this blessing thing. He was given everything he has. It's kind of like our coffee here. We go through an unholy amount of coffee on a weekly basis at CBC. I mean, we just do. Y'all are addicted. But we have coffee pretty much every day during the week as well because now the staff is addicted. So anytime you come to the church, pretty much, very rare, there's always freshly brewed coffee. And what we, whenever I have an appointment, I'm like, hey, you want a cup of coffee? You, hey, want a cup of coffee? I'm, I'm generous with the coffee. You know why? Because I didn't pay for it. Because y'all paid for it. Because it's a church paid for the $1,000 of coffee that we go through, which I, by the way, think is very wise of us, but I'm free to be generous. Why? Because we've been generous with the coffee. It frees me to say, hey, you want a cup of coffee? Abraham is in the same place. He said, God has given me the, he's promised me all this, so just take whatever you want. In the middle of conflict, he is generous. I think that is just, that is magnanimous. It's, it's huge. And so it's the mentality of dad and mom paid for the Little Caesars so I can give you this last pizza pizza because I didn't pay for it. Dad and mom bought the Twinkies. I can give you the last Twinkie. As simple as that. Or it could be as grand as my God was generous with me with forgiveness and so I am going to be generous with forgiveness to you. It's me this week realizing when one of my children loses something, right? Going back and saying, and I lost three baseball gloves in one season. And my dad, although almost beating me, was kind and bought me another one. If my dad would buy me another one and was generous, then I need to be generous with this. It's, it's just that mentality. Could there be conflict? Could there be, I can't believe? Yes. Do I feel that? Yes. But what Abraham is, is he's, he's magnanimous, right? And so when I, I've blown it all the time, and so when you blow it, then we're, we're going to be okay because God has done that for me. That's, that's it. It's, it's not being selfish. It's not getting what's right for you. It's deferring. And the only one in this, in this story who's selfish is Lot, and we're going to come to him in the next couple of weeks. But Lot, after he's offered, he lifts his eyes. And the Hebrew is kind of very, uh, you know, dramatic. He, it's, he's longing for. He looks down and he sees the Jordan Valley and it's watered. And he says it's like the garden of the Lord. It's like paradise. It's like the garden of Eden. 
And he makes an economic decision here that eventually is going to cost him everything, including his wife. And we'll get into that in the next couple of weeks. But he looks down. He looks at e- it looks like Egypt. He looks in the direction of Zor. This is before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by the Lord. And he chooses that. And so he journeys east and they separate. He says, I want the best. He makes a me decision. He says, that looks like paradise. I want paradise. Abraham's saying, paradise is where God is. I want to be with God. That's the difference. And, and if, if there's selfishness and selfish ambition, there's going to be what? Disorder and every vile thing. Here it is. That's it. It's, a, it's going to be huge for him. It's a huge decision. And so here's how it ends. Real quickly, God just shows up again and blesses Abraham. He says, everything I said I was going to do, I'm going to do. I'm just reassuring you. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated, lift up your eyes, look, for the, look from the place where you are, northward, southward, east, west, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth so that if, if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land. For I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are Hebron, and there he built an altar. He builds another altar. He starts worshiping, he ends worshiping. And what you see is God says, you know, Lot may think he's got that, but I've given it to you. It's all yours. See, a selfish person doesn't know what it's like to be carried by God. Abraham does. I got you, Abraham. I will always take care of you, Abraham. You can sleep well at night, and in the end, you can worship because you've got a clean heart. You're not worried about this. You're, not, you're trusting. So, wouldn't some of y'all like to be able to sleep at night? Just release that person and be able to worship with a clean spirit and just say, I'm not, I'm not mad anymore. I'm not yelling anymore. Right? I'm not angry anymore. So it ends like it begins. Right? Diffused, Abraham blessed. He's worshiping. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to move to worship. And here's just the encouragement. Look, there's, there's going to be conflict. In fact, maybe, again, you're the one of the ones that you yell at the kids this morning. You yelled at your, your spouse. And maybe this is the time just to grab their hand, give a little squeeze. And that's translated, I'm sorry. Because we're about to sing and worship. And you, you want to, to have owned that so that there's just... Nothing hindering your worship. And we're just going to ask that whatever needs to be done, maybe you need to write a letter. Maybe you need to make a phone call. Maybe you need to go visit someone this week. Maybe you need to say you're sorry. I think God has some work to do on all of us in this area. No one has arrived because there's always going to be proximity. There's always going to be possessions. There's always going to be pride. But if we as a people would just be growing in our deference, giving up of our rights. Why? Because our Savior gave up his rights. It would, if we'd be trusting in the results, it would free us to be magnanimous. And we want to be CBC, magnanimous. Right? You won't ever hear me say that word ever again. <laughs> but let's just ask God to work. Whatever needs to be taking place in your heart and your spirit, just that the Holy Spirit right now would just kind of move that on you, um, to move in grace and love towards people because God moved in grace and in love towards us and that while we were sinners, Christ died. So let's stand uh, and just worship this morning. Lord Jesus, I ask you to make us a generous people, that you would make us a peaceful people. Blessed are the peacemakers to pursue peace. For the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous 
Your ear attends their prayer. Just a, a people who have joy, not strife. And there's someone here that got strife all the time. That you would give them some peace. And whatever needs to take place for that. So I just ask you to do that. I pray that we would be a church of love. That people would know us by our love for one another. And that when there is conflict, we would deal with it in a way you have told us to deal with it. We love you. Uh, we praise you. Uh, Father, in Christ's name.